0: be reading and covering two sections in this episode, the birth of John the Baptist and the genealogy of Jesus. Let's get right to it. Luke chapter 1, we'll start with verses 57 and 58. When it was time for Elizabeth to have her baby, she gave birth to a son. Her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord had shown her great mercy, and they shared her joy. From what we read in the past, people were well aware of Zacharias and Elizabeth's childless state. Now they shared in their joy and considered a birth of their child to be a great mercy from God. And even though the child's conception was miraculous, he continued in the womb in the ordinary course of nature, as later did Jesus. Verse 59. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. The rite of circumcision was installed by God and originated with Abraham, Genesis chapter 17, verses 9 through 14. The ceremony was held on the eighth day after a birth of a child. The circumcision was also practiced elsewhere occasionally in the ancient Near East, but not on the same level as the Hebrews. For Israel, it was a display of imp- of the impurity of the human nature and dependence on God for the production of life, particularly the promised seed as originally stated to Abraham. It was during this pact Abram's name was changed, to Abraham, which means a father of many. The act of circumcision is always meant to represent something much greater than just branding a man's most intimate feature. Think about it. What is the concept of a visible adjustment to something that is always hidden from the public eye? No one can see it, but it is there. It meant to serve as a reminder of a divine call and submission to God with the inner nature. This may be something to consider when thinking about the topic of mainstream branding, like tattoos. In Deuteronomy, we read, The Lord, your God, will circumcise your hearts and the hearts of your descendants so that you may love him with all your heart and with all your soul and live. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. Further, in the Old Testament, we read the following in the book of Jeremiah. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will punish all who are circumcised only in the flesh, Egypt, Judah, Edom, Ammon, Moab, and all who live in the wilderness in in distant places. For all these nations are really uncircumcised and even the whole house of Israel is uncircumcised in the heart. Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 25 and 26. This sentiment carries over into the New Testament, where Paul writes in the letter to Romans, A person is not a Jew who is one only outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, And circumcision is a circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a person's praise is not from other people, but from God. Romans chapter 2, verses 28 and 29. Verses 59 through 66 in our main text. On the eighth day, they came to circumcise the child, and they were going to name him after his father Zechariah. But his mother spoke up and said, No, he is to be called John. They said to her, There is no one among your relatives who has that name. Then they made signs to his father to find out what he would like to name the child. He asked for a writing tablet, and to everyone's astonishment he wrote, His name is John. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. And he began to speak, praising God. All the neighbors were filled with awe. And throughout the hill country of Judea, people were talking about all these things. Everyone who heard this wondered about it, asking, What then is this child going to be? For the Lord's hand was with him. It was not common for the Jews to give their children a parental name. But the relatives wished to honor Zechariah because of the extraordinary nature of the event. Elizabeth was likely told told about the name John by Zechariah, and she was speaking for the both of them. Zechariah confirmed that the child is to be named John. In this passage, it is the first time a piece of writing is mentioned in the New Testament. And this writing communicates a major characteristic in the nature of God. John, which means God is gracious. Note that Zechariah did not regain his ability to speak at the time of the child's birth, but after he confirmed his name, which signifies the thoroughness of God's promise. First chapter draws towards a conclusion with a song of praise or a prophecy, as Luke points out, which in this case can be defined as an ecstatic expression brought by the Spirit of God. Similarly to Magnificat, this one also draws its popular title from the Latin Vulgate, Benedictus, meaning blessed. For the record, if Vulgate sounds like vulgar, That's because it is. Both words have the same root, vulgaris, which means simple, plain, or commonly known. Before it evolved into a more negative connotation. The objective of the Vulgate translation, which was completed in the late 4th century, was to provide the Bible for the common people in the common Latin, which was the most popular language back then. First half of Benedictus, uh, verses 67 through 75. His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David In this part, Zechariah proclaimed the deliverance for Israel through the coming of the Messiah because God is faithful to the promise he made to Abraham about 2,000 years prior and then again to David roughly another 1,000 years. The Savior is classified here as a horn. He raised up a horn of salvation. When considering horns and people, you might think of Vikings wearing horned helmets, although historically there is little to no evidence of such headwear for the Vikings, a horn is symbolic with strength and honor. We read in the book of Psalms, the Lord says, I will cut off the horns of all the wicked, but the horns of the righteous will be lifted up. Psalm 75, verse 10. And also, here I will make a horn grow for David and set up a lamp for my anointed one. Psalm 132 verse 17. Horns also denote the power to save and to forgive. The design of an altar in the tabernacle and later in the temple had horns included in it. Make a horn in each of the four corners so that the horns... And the altar are of one piece, and overlay the altar with bronze. Book of Exodus 27, 2. Moving on to verses 76 through 79. And you, my child, will be called a prophet of the Most High, for you will go on before the Lord to prepare the way for him, to give his people the knowledge of salvation through the forgiveness of their sins, Because of the tender mercy of our God, by which the rising sun will come to us from heaven to shine on those living in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the paths of peace. This is another prophetic description of John the Baptist. Jesus is the Son of the Most High, and John is the Prophet of the Most High. He would give the knowledge of salvation, He would preach salvation and introduce the Savior. Verse 80. And the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he lived in the wilderness until he appeared publicly to Israel. Desert was often a place for the godly people to grow in spirit. We read of men like Isaac, David, Elijah, Paul the Apostle, they all spent an extensive time in the desert or the wilderness. A desert is not necessarily a place full of sand. It also denotes wilderness, like the NAV suggests, a secluded place away from the people. For the rest of the episode, we will focus on the two genealogies of Jesus. They are listed in the very first chapter of Matthew and the third chapter of Luke, verses 23-38. through 38. Genealogy is a historical ancestry line. Most people now, myself included, are not aware of their ancestry past their great-grandparents. Not so with the ancient Hebrew people. In fact, we read about some priests who were excluded from priestly duties because they did not have sufficient proof of their family records that were supposed to go back hundreds of years. Book of Ezra, chapter 2, verse 62. Genealogies were a topic of much pride among some people. Paul the Apostle even warned not to get carried away with their lineage, which can get on the same level as false doctrines. In a letter to Timothy, he wrote, I urge you when I went into Macedonia, stay there in Ephesus so that you may command certain people not to teach false doctrines any longer or to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. Such things promote controversial speculations rather than advancing God's work, which is by faith. 1 Timothy 1, verses 3 and 4. A big part of the first book of Chronicles is devoted to a list of names and lineages. At one point, in the middle of a bunch of names we probably never encounter anywhere else, we read, These records are from ancient times. 1 Chronicles 4.22 It's as if to say, don't get caught up in this. And if you do choose to study it, don't let it frustrate you. Genealogies serve as an endorsing document that add to the authenticity of biblical records. The two genealogies of Jesus prove that he was a descendant of King David, which was an imperative qualification for the Messiah. Jesus is qualified on both ends by Mary and Joseph. Gospel of Matthew likely wrote about Joseph's lineage and branches out of Solomon. Luke wrote about Mary's and branches out of Nathan. Both Solomon and Nathan were the sons of King David. This is logical, considering that Luke concentrates the beginning of his narrative on Mary, while Matthew concentrates on Joseph. And even though Luke lists Jesus as a son of Joseph, he is most likely thought of as a father-in-law. Matthew chapter 1 Verses 1-17. through This is a genealogy of Jesus the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac. Isaac the father of Jacob. Jacob the father of Judah and his brothers. Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez the father of Hezron. Hezron the father of Ram. Ram the father of Aminadab. Aminadab the father of Hashan, the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab, Boaz the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of King David. David was the father of Solomon, whose mother had been Uriah's wife, Solomon the father of Rehoboam, Rehoboam the father of Abiyah, Abiyah the father of Asa, Asa the father of Jehoshaphat, Jehoshaphat, the father of Jer-ro- Jehoram, Jehoram, the father of Uzziah, Uzziah, the father of Yor- Jotham, Jotham, the father of Ahaz, Ahaz, the father of Hezekiah, Hezekiah, the father of Manasseh, Manasseh, the father of Amon, Amon, the father of Josiah, and Josiah, the father of Yechonia, and his brothers at the time of the exile to Babylon. After the exile to Babylon, Jeconiah was the father of Sheltiel. Sheltiel, the father of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel, the father of Abihud. Abihud, the father of Eliakim. Eliakim, the father of Azar. Azar, the father of Zadok. Zadok, the father of Akim. Akim, the father of Elihud. Elihud, the father of Eleazar. Eleazar, the father of Mathan, Mathan the father of Jacob, and Jacob the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, and Mary was the mother of Jesus who is called the Messiah. Thus, there were fourteen generations in all from Abraham to David, fourteen from David to the exile to Babylon, and fourteen from the exile to the Messiah. Now, Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, verses 23-38. through Now, Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli, the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, the son of Jani, the son of Joseph, the son of Mattathias, the son of Amos, the son of Nahum, the son of Esli, the son of Nagai, the son of Math the son of Matthäus, the son of Simeon, the son of Jozek, the son of Joda, the son of Joanan, the son of Rassa, the son of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheltiel, the son of Neri, the son of Melchi, the son of Adai, the son of Kosem, the son of Elmadam, the son of Ur, the son of Joshua, the son of Eliezer, the son of Joram, the son of the. The son of Levi, the son of Simeon, the son of Judah, the son of Joseph, the son of Jonam, the son of Eliakim, the son of Meli, the son of Mena, the son of Matatha, the son of Nathan, the son of David, the son of Jesse, the son of Obed, the son of Boaz, the son of Salmon, the son of Nashon, the son of Aminedab, the son of Ram, the son of Hezron, the son of Perez, the son of Judah, the son of Jacob, the son of Isaac, the son of Abraham, the son of Terah, the son of Nahor, the son of Serug, the son of Reu, the son of Peleg, the son of Eber, the son of Shela, the son of Canaan, the son of Aphraxed, the son of Shem the son of Noah, the son of Lamech, the son of Methuselah, the son of Enoch, the son of Jared, the son of Mahalalel, the son of Kenan, the son of Enosh, the son of Seth, the son of Adam, the son of God. Let's point out some interesting pieces. Matthew begins with Abraham, which is the mark of the covenant. This is one of the giveaways that points to the selective audience of Matthew's writing, the Hebrew people. Luke, he does this in the reverse order, and he ends his list or begins it uh, with Adam, a starting point of all humanity, which is an important theme to Luke's foreign target audience. Besides Mary, there are four women pointed out in this list. Tamar, Rahab, Ruth, and Bathsheba, or as she is referred to as Uriah's wife. All four had very questionable backgrounds. And yet, by the grace of God, they were given an honor to be a part of this lineage. Matthew concludes this list by saying that there were 14 generations in all from Abraham to David, 14 from David to the exile to Babylon, and 14 from the exile to the Messiah. If we are to count the names that are listed, this is correct. But if we count the chronology with a generation lasting for 20 years, which is a standard number of years for a generation, uh, the numbers are very different. From Abraham to David, there was a span of over 900 years, which is over 40 generations. The other two, from David to Babylon and Babylon to Jesus, are about 500 to 600 years each which is over 20 generations each. This can be explained in the following way. In the Bible times, generations were not measured by a specific number of years, but with a prominent figure of the time or an order of events. It was not necessary to be a direct son of someone to be counted as a generation, but more importantly were the occasions that defined the time people lived in. And it was satisfactory to include grandchildren instead of sons in some cases. Lastly, for this episode, in Hebrew numerology, the name David adds up to number 14. This might have played a larger role in Matthew's statement. For the next episode, we will finally reach the birth of Jesus. We'll be reading the rest of Matthew chapter 1 and begin Luke chapter 2. Until next time, Farewell.